Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Much like the Jews and the Gentiles, we can see each other as wicked, ignorant outsiders as we sit on opposing views. However, we see a transformation by God and the Holy Spirit in this passage. How might that apply to us today? You're listening to Pentecost, Part 2 by Dr. Steve Van Zenen. We live in a world of conflict. Now, of course, this is nothing new. Ever since the days of Cain and Abel, people who were supposed to love each other and care for each other and support one another have instead responded to each other with, uh, with envy, with animosity, with hatred. And yet... Maybe this, this problem is growing worse. It seems that in the last 18 months, we have been pummeled by multiple overlapping crises, by conflict about race and policing, about political leaders and their policies, and about appropriate resp responses to the COVID pandemic. These multiple overlapping crises have done significant damage to our relationships in our world, in our nation, in congregations uh, like this one. How do we respond to those conflicts? What resources does God's word have for us as we face them? Acts chapter 10, uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 23, but before that, we need to know what happened in the first half of the chapter. There we meet two characters. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, who had a vision of an angel of God who told him, send messengers to Joppa to get Peter and invite him to your home. And then just before those messengers arrive in Joppa, Peter falls into a trance. He sees a sheet let down from heaven. This is often a favorite for children, right? This picture of the sheet dropping down with all these animals in it, including those unclean pigs that good Jews were not supposed to eat or have anything to do with. And there, Peter receives this word, kill and eat. And he objected, no, I've never done that and never should. Three times this is repeated, and then the sheet is drawn back into heaven, and he's left to wonder, what in the world is going on? I am a Jew. Jews don't eat those things. God told us not to. And yet, this voice from heaven is telling me to eat them? What's going on? And so while he's wondering about this, the messengers arrive. And that's where we'll pick up the story. Acts chapter 10, beginning at the second half of verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But 
God has shown me that I should not call any one impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who, receive, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The word of the Lord. The two principal characters, human characters, in this story offer a study in contrasts. Cornelius is a Roman and a soldier. As a centurion, he was something like a captain or a major. Likely, he would have been well-educated and come from a prominent family. We might identify him as white-collar and maybe even Ivy League. Like other Romans, he was trained to worship the gods of Rome. Jupiter, Saturn, and, and Venus, along with all those others. 
But something happened to Cornelius. He was posted to Palestine, and he learned something of Israel's God. He is described here as God-fearing, and that's a technical term. What it means is that he is one who has recognized that Israel's God is the one true God. Now, he hasn't gone all the way. He hasn't been circumcised or uh, adopted kosher food laws, but he is a man on the way. By contrast, Peter is a Jew and a fisherman, schooled in the Hebrew Scriptures, but not in the ways of the Roman world. As a member of one of the many subject peoples of Rome, he had few rights. We might identify him as blue-collar and red-necked. He had known Israel's God from childhood, but something had happened to Peter, too. He had become a disciple of this traveling rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, and ultimately Peter was the one who had declared this Jesus to be God's Messiah. After stumbling on the night of of Jesus' trial, Peter is the one who rises up on Pentecost Sunday to offer testimony that this is the long-promised Redeemer. So Peter is different, but not completely. Peter was still a Jew, deeply attached to Jewish traditions and his Jewish identity. And like other Jews, he couldn't have imagined that God loved Gentiles. These contrasting characters had been trained to despise one another. They were supposed to regard each other as wicked, ignorant outsiders. From Cornelius' perspective, Peter is a member of a subject people, and there were, of course, many of them under the Roman Empire. But the Jews were known to be particularly obnoxious because unlike all the other residents of the empire who were already polytheists, the Jews would not accept the addition of Roman gods to their own or the worship of a Roman emperor. They said there is one God and he deserves all the praise. And therefore, from Cornelius' perspective, Peter is particularly troublesome and difficult. Of course, from Peter's perspective, it was the Romans who were the wicked and ignorant ones. They and the other Gentiles were outsiders to the plan of God and his promise. Only the Jews were insiders who knew God's law and tried to follow it. Does this kind of mutual disgust and animosity sound familiar? Our country, our world, and sometimes even our congregations are deeply divided from each other, uh, divided over all sorts of troubling issues. And sometimes we can regard one another as wicked, ignorant outsiders to the flow of history or to the plan of God. Is there hope for such a divided world? In Acts 10, we see these contrasting characters transformed by the Spirit. We call this book the Acts of the Apostles, but as many have observed, a more accurate title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He initiates the action and drives it all the way through. He comes on the disciples at Pentecost in Acts 2 
and directs the path of their ministry. Here, he demonstrates God's acceptance of Gentile believers by giving them the ability to speak in other languages, just as he had given it to Jewish believers on Pentecost Sunday. Peter declares that no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water when they've already been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what does this transformation mean? Well, for Cornelius, it means that the empire and its emperor are no longer ultimate. He cannot give unlimited allegiance to his nation or its leader when the God of the universe calls him to a higher calling. The king of kings has summoned Cornelius, and he can do nothing but obey him. Accepting that ultimacy of the kingdom of God means that no human king or human kingdom, uh, no human kingdom or human king can be given carte blanche authority in his life. And Cornelius is facing now the daunting task of re-evaluating everything in his existence according to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps like me, you have read this story many times and regarded it as a story of the transformation of Cornelius and the advance of the gospel among the Gentiles, and so it is. But not only that. Peter also is transformed. Even though he had grown up with the Hebrew Scriptures and spent three years in the company of the Son of God, Peter was not fully mature in his faith. He was not fully developed as a Christian. He had only the beginnings of an understanding of all that God was doing in the world. Though Peter was a Christian, he was still very much a Jew. And as a Jew, he was firmly persuaded that his people were at the center of God's plan and others were outsiders, only tangentially related to what God was doing, if at all. And therefore, they were to be normally despised and avoided. But in that trance, he was told that pigs were no longer unclean. And as he made his way from Joppa to Caesarea, he was pondering, no doubt, and began to understand that perhaps this vision meant that Gentiles were no longer unclean either. I don't think that we can understand how deeply this struck at Peter's sense of his own identity. He'd been raised for 30 or 40 years to believe that Gentiles were wicked, uh, ignorant outsiders to God's plan, and he should have nothing to do with them. And yet, as he spends a day and a half walking to Caesarea, he's thinking, well, maybe that's wrong. Maybe God is doing something different and new at this moment. Maybe my pride in my race, in my ethnicity, is misplaced. And I have to change because God's plan includes people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So he could no longer despise those who were not like himself. He could no longer view his own people as somehow more deserving of God's grace than others. And so Peter, too, was transformed by the Spirit. 
But we can look ahead in Scripture to see that this transformation was not instantaneous. In Galatians chapter 2, there's a, a story that Paul tells about an interaction with Peter many years later when Peter was eating with Gentile Christians, and yet when visitors came that would not be accepting of this practice, he's pulled back and he stopped, he stopped loving other believers because of their race. And Paul, even though he was newer in the faith and lower in, in the status than Peter, is bold enough to confront him and say, you're not acting in line with the gospel because this is at the center, loving all kinds of people regardless of their race, of their ethnicity, of all sorts of other categories that we as human beings put in this uh, in the way of God's grace. Paul confronted Peter boldly. Both Cornelius' loyalty to his nation and its leader and Peter's pride in his race and religious heritage are transformed by the Spirit. Contrasting characters transformed by the Spirit grow the community of faith. This is a breakthrough moment for the course of the expansion of the gospel. In this moment, the Spirit of God makes clear that all sorts of people are welcome in the kingdom of God. On Pentecost, many languages were spoken and many people understood them, but almost all of those people were Jews. Here, eight chapters later, we see that a Gentile community, a centurion and his servants and his relatives are gathered in. At the home of Cornelius, uh, Peter, uh, Cornelius, his family and friends and household received the message, just as Jewish believers had earlier. And Peter, Peter has a great quotation here that we should all take with us. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In these verses, we see a radical inclusivity that for Peter the Jew was astounding. The people of God are no longer those of a certain nation or re religious heritage. You don't have to be born into the people of God. But at the same time, there is an exclusivity that is in those words. A response to God is needed. And that response creates a new human community. So good to read Ephesians today. Exactly, uh, Paul echoes exactly there what Peter says here. That a new humanity is created by God's grace that draws together across normal human boundaries. It establish, establishes a new form of identity that supersedes all others. For us, working in the post-Soviet uh, Eastern Europe, uh, this is a huge issue. Soviet and Russian imperialism has been a characteristic of that part of the world, not just for a few generations, but for centuries. The most common language in our dormitory is Russian. 
Many of our students are ethnically Russian, but a lot more of them speak Russian now because of this imperial heritage, this imperial past. And so overcoming this history of conflict, of domination, of, uh, of oppression is a key issue on our campus. Is there a way forward? Can Russians and others be joined together in one community and love one another? Yes. By the power of the gospel, those troubles of the past and even of the present, Moldova, Georgia, Ukraine, still occupied right now, even those offenses can be overcome by the power of the gospel. Many see Christianity with its institutions and history and political power as part of the problem here of human division. But Christ is not captive to any human institution. He's not limited even by the shortcomings of his own church. But instead, he has a way of drawing all people in by his spirit. But this can only happen when Jesus is recognized as the center of our existence. All of us have many aspects of our identity, our gender and profession, our ethnicity and, and uh, family background, our, our political party and our loyalties there too. But none of them, not one of them, not any combination of them should rival our sense of identity in Christ, who is Lord of all. And when we center our identity in him, all these things are relativized. Reformed people are fond of quoting Abraham Kuyper's statement about how there's not one square inch of creation about which Jesus Christ does not claim mine. And that is true of every aspect of our identities as persons, as families, as churches. When contrasting characters are transformed by the Spirit to create communities of faith across lines of difference, the world takes notice. Contrasting characters transformed by the Spirit grow the community of faith. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this piece of your word, so pivotal to our own salvation. Most of us here, maybe all of us, consider ourselves Gentiles. We would be outsiders were it not for this moment in salvation history. And we thank you, God, for gathering us in. And we pray, Lord, that you might continue to gather in people from every tribe, language, people, and nation, from those who, that are historically Christian, like Lithuanians and Russians, but also those who are deeply entrenched in a Muslim identity, like Kazakh and Kyrgyz. We know that they too are part of your plan and that you want to draw them too into your kingdom. Help us, Lord, in every aspect of our lives to be your agents, your agents of renewal and of hope that the troubles of this present world can be overcome 
when the Spirit of Jesus gains full sway. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.